read our scripture for today, which comes from Zechariah chapter 3. So reading from Zechariah 3. It says, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put fine garments on you. Then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you'll walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among these standing here. Listen, high priest Joshua, you and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come. I'm going to bring my servant, the branch. See the stone I have set in front of Joshua? There are seven eyes on that one stone, and I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. In that day, each of you will invite your neighbor to sit under your vine and fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's my pleasure to introduce uh, our speaker this morning, Dr. Eris Sorov, who you met briefly now through that video. And as you can see, uh, he's the president of uh, One for Israel, which is just doing an incredible work. Uh, Eris has a doctoral degree in psychology from Wheaton College. And upon returning to Israel, he actually founded a national counseling ministry and ended up then becoming shortly thereafter the president of Israel College of the Bible through, uh, I remember when what was happening, the interesting circumstances. But it, And that Israel College of the Bible has continued to expand its work and now with a national evangelistic ministry, uh, one for Israel. Ares is actually speaking to us from Israel. He was born in Israel, became a believer in Jesus while backpacking through Europe. In my own story of faith, I was actually hitchhiking in Israel when I got dropped off at a Christian youth hostel in Haifa. It was that very day I got dropped off that the workers of the hostel were actually all down with Ares watching him be baptized in the Mediterranean and giving the story of how God had touched his life. And I met Erez soon after, and two months later, I too became a follower of Yeshua, Jesus, and we became friends and prayer partners as we both eagerly sought to understand this God who had become a reality in our lives. And so it is so cool. This is like 30, almost 30 years later, that I can sit there and watch what God has done in Eris's life and the amazing ministry that he's uh, head of. So I'm excited that uh, you can actually come here, Eris, and speak with us this morning. This is one of the blessings of COVID. Let me just say a word of prayer for your time. Ah, Lord, we uh, thank you, Father. Thank you for your abundant goodness and mercy. Thank you that you uh, can bring Harris to be with us from Israel this morning. And I pray you will bless his message, that you will speak to our hearts. Give us open hearts to hear. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Harris, take it. Thank you. Thanks, Garrett. And shalom, everyone. It's really uh, lovely to be with you. Uh, today and, and as Garrett said, thankful for technology that makes it possible. Uh, it's an afternoon, early evening here in Israel, and so 
you know, with technology, we can, we can fellowship together. So, um, you know, I want to talk about, as Garrett read about uh, Zechariah chapter three, and uh, Zechariah is one of the most amazing prophets, and I think both as a person, but also the prophecy that God has given him. I want to tell you a little bit about him very briefly. Zechariah means the name, the actual name Zechariah means God remembers, and it's, it's, it's really fitting because uh, Zechariah was born in the Babylonian diaspora, and he uh, immigrated, I can say, back to Israel with his grandfather when he was a young man. And during his teenage years, actually, I should say that uh, maybe one other sentence before that, Zechariah, uh, Zechariah's grandfather was the head of one of the most important priestly families among the Jewish people at the time. And Zechariah as such was, I mean, he's grown to be an important, uh, a leader of an important priestly family. He was not just a priest, but also a prophet. And really that was his ministry for nearly 40 years. And for the young people among us, you know, when God called Zechariah to serve him, Zechariah was a young man. He was in his teenage years, maybe, maybe uh, early 20s. Now, something special about him is that uh, both Jewish scholars and also uh, Christian scholars call Zechariah the summary of all the prophets. And we'll see a little bit of why uh, through this chapter. He, he takes themes and expressions from former prophets. He's one of the latest prophets in the Hebrew Bible, and he applies them. The focus of Zechariah's message throughout his book is the Messiah himself. And he talks a lot in great detail about the first coming of Christ and also about the second coming of Christ, the return of Christ. In the New Testament, uh, Zechariah's prophecy is quoted over 40 times. And so, um, yeah, it's, he's a very special man. Now, um, the first six chapters of the book of Zechariah contain eight visions. God is giving Zechariah, this young guy, eight visions in a single night. And I, I want to, again, mention this particularly for the uh, younger ones among us, because God loves to speak to the young. And if we pursue God's heart, you know, like Zechariah did, God will speak to us as well. The focus of, of chapter three is really verses eight and nine. And we're going to build our way to it. In verses eight and nine is, in my mind, one of the most amazing prophetic pictures of the Messiah, detailed prophetic pictures of the Messiah in the entire Hebrew Bible. And this message is, is, is as we'll see, very, very special because God is specifically addressing the spiritual leadership of the nation of Israel. So chapter three is actually the fourth out of the eight visions of Zechariah. And um, let's just dive straight to it. I'm going to share my screen with you. And um, so you can see the uh, presentation. I actually use uh, the King James for my English. So you got to bear with me. All right. Verse one. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. 
So what we see in the initial part of this vision is a scene of judgment. And uh, Zechariah is saying, God has showed me Joshua, the high priest. Now, importantly to understand, um, you know, when Israel went to the Babylonian exile in Zechariah or by Zechariah's time, a minority of the nation has come back to Israel. Okay, it was just a minority, maybe 10 to 20 percent have come back to Israel, to the land of Israel. Zechariah was among them. The those that returned to Israel were led by two leaders. One was Zerubbabel, who was the civil leader, and he was from the uh, descendants, descendancy of King David. It was very important, very symbolic. The other leader was Joshua, son of Josedak, and he was the high priest. He was the highest spiritual authority under the Mosaic Covenant. At this time, of course, the Mosaic Covenant, the Sinai Covenant, is the way that um, the people of Israel could come and worship the true and living God. So Zechariah is shown the uh, Joshua, the high priest, and notice that Joshua is not mentioned by his full name. It's not Joshua, the son of Josedak, from the family of Aaron, from the tribe of Levi, and so on and so on, but it's rather Joshua, the high priest. This is very, very important. Because if you may remember in the Mosaic Covenant, the Sinai Covenant, the high priest carried on his shoulders and on his breast the names of the tribes of Israel. The high priest was, in that respect, a representative of the nation of Israel. And that is what he is in this, in this scene. He's representing Israel, not just himself. Okay? Now, the expression standing before repeated three times in this chapter, is, is actually significant as well because it always symbolizes someone standing before someone greater than he. Okay, we see that, for example, with Joshua in front of Moses, uh, with Joseph in front of Pharaoh, and so on and so on. So here, Joshua is standing before the angel of the Lord. The angel of the, word, the Lord, I'd like to submit to you. We don't have time to get into it, but Actually, Zechariah is talking about it in chapter one, is no other than the pre-incarnate Messiah. Okay, the 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 um, the pre-incarnate Messiah. We'll see later on in the project. He's in in the uh, chapter. He's called Yudhevav uh, Yahweh Himself, and this is you know Joshua representing Israel is the um, the one that's been accused or the defendant. God, the angel of the Lord, is the judge, and there's also a persecutor. And the persecutor is no other than the enemy of our, enemy of our souls, Satan himself. And Satan, as we see, is accusing Israel, accusing Joshua, representing Israel. Now, what exactly is the accusation? We're not sure. But we have a pretty good picture from, um, you know, from the rest of, of Scripture. And basically, he's saying to God, this is the one you're choosing? I mean, I mean, look at him. Look, look, look at this nation. By the way, he loves to do it to us as believers in Christ as well. They are your disciples. They are your sons and daughters. I mean, look at them. Look at their behavior. Look at the way they speak, and so on and so on. Now, really, I'd like to submit to you, he's not the, the, the one that's been accused is not really Israel, certainly not Joshua, 
but ultimately it's God himself. He's trying to accuse God. Look who's you've, who have you, you've chosen. They are simply not worthy. Now, um, as we will see in verse 3, in just a little bit, the accusation itself is not completely baseless. I mean, apparently, there are some uncleanliness, as we'll see in the nation of Israel, that maybe part of the point Satan was making are true. However, he completely misses then and now the grace of God that sees in us something beyond us. That once we, in our day and age, when we accept Christ, you know, in the new covenant, God is seeing the Messiah um, or see, he sees us through the cleansing lens, as it were, of the Messiah. Verse 2, the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now listen very carefully. The enemy may accuse us, but it is not within his power to condemn us. Let me say it again. The enemy may accuse us, but it is not within his power to condemn us. This is fantastic news. I hope you're encouraged. It greatly encourages me because one of the things that Satan loves the most is to accuse us against our conscience and saying you're not good enough, you're not dead enough, or you're too much of this. But the point is, he may accuse, some of it maybe has some basis, but he cannot condemn us because we have a defender. And the defender we have is the judge himself. And in this verse, we see God as if stepping away from his uh, chair of judgment and he's rebuking two times. He's rebuking Satan, saying to him, you cannot touch them. In this instance, he's talking about Jerusalem represented by Joshua. And he's saying, you cannot touch them. Um, in Isaiah chapter, um, chapter 50, verses 8 and 9, you don't have to, to turn, but you can note it to yourself if you want. Um, the verse says this, he who vindicates me is near, who will contend with me. Let us stand up to each other. Who has a case against me? Let him draw near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who is he who condemns me? Behold, they will all wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them. It kind of echoes, it's, it's a bit of a more difficult language, but basically uh, Paul is, is referring to this in Romans chapter 8, in verses 33 and 34, when he says, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, yes, rather who is raised, who is at the right hand of the of God, who also intercedes for us. Hallelujah. I mean, this, this is great, great, great news that while Satan still hates God, still hates Israel, still hates the, the church, the people of God, but he's still doing his best as the accuser, but he cannot condemn. Our judge is our defender. And God says, you know, I have not changed my mind. People may fail. You know, we fail, all of us. But God says, I'm not like people. I don't change my mind. One of my favorite, most favorite verses in the entire uh, Bible is in um, Numbers 24. I think it's verse 17. 
I'm freely translating from the Hebrew. It says, God is not a man that he changes his mind um, or, or that he would lie, not, uh, not a human being that he will change his mind. God is faithful. And when he chooses, like when he chose Israel, when he chooses us as his sons and daughters, he does not change his mind. The last expression in this verse, brand plucked from the fire, is actually um, a, re a repetition on Amos 4, verse 11. And basically, uh, uh, the fire here, the image of fire is the exile, the first exile, in this case, the Babylonian exile. And he's saying, yes, it was a judgment. It was, it was discipline on the nation of Israel. And, and it hurt the nation. But it's like a, a brand plucked from the fire. It cannot be destroyed, God says, because I have plans for it. Verses 3 and 4. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. He spoke and said to those who were standing before him, saying, well, you know what? Hold on. Uh, uh, let me start with verse 3 for a second. Joshua, again, remember, the high priest, and he's standing before the angel of the Lord, and he's dressed, the, the, the word that is uh, translated here as filthy garments literally means in Hebrew, garments covered with feces. And you may remember when the high priest was standing before God, he had to uh, make sacrifices for himself, for his family, for the nation. He had to wear special, very special garments, special head covering. And then and only then was he allowed to approach God. And here he stands with covered with ultimate the ultimate uncleanness. Okay, so that's, that's what verse 3 is portraying for us. And then verse 4, he spoke, he, the angel of the Lord, spoke and said to those who were standing before him, those that were serving him, the serving angels, as it were, saying, remove the filthy garments from him. Again, he said to him, see, I have taken your iniquity away from you and will clothe you with festal robes so Zechariah again picks up here on themes that were mentioned in the in the former prophets um, you know we read in uh, Isaiah uh, Isaiah 64 verse 5 for all of us who become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment and this is kind of portrays um, the spiritual condition of Israel at the time, you know, and it wasn't good. And to some degree, you know, it's, it's not great right now. And I think it also portrays the picture of us as, as those that are following the Messiah at times, even as believers in Christ, you know, we can walk in some filth and some filth can cover us. But the point is, when it comes to our actions, it's like filthy garments, you know, there's nothing I can do that will find favor before God. It will make him say, wow, Ares is a great guy. I really want to, you know, I want him to be my son because of what he did. And that's true for all of us. All our righteous deeds are like filthy garments. But as a contrast, and again, I think Zechariah is picking up on that, is Isaiah 61 verse 10. And Isaiah is calling, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. So, you know, the salvation, the, 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 the festal robes, as it were, is a gift from God. Our salvation is something that is given freely as a gift. 
And by the way, this, this exchange of, of taking off the filthy garments and putting on the festal robes, does that remind you of any parable from the New Testament? Well, there's 60 of us here, so I'll just give you the answer. It's, it's the um, uh, prodigal son, right? It kind of portrays for us the picture of the prodigal son, which again talks about God's father's heart towards not only Israel and Joshua, but also us in this day and age. Verse 5, then I said, now here, here is the, the prophet himself, Zechariah, so much into the vision. And as a priest, he says, well, there's something missing. You know, he's kind of bursting into the, the vision. Then I said, Zechariah says here, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they, so they put a clean turban on his head and clothe him with, uh, and clothe him with garments while the angel of the Lord was standing by. So as Zechariah sees it as a priest, he recognizes the special head covering of the, um, of the high priest is missing. It was this uh, white head covering with a golden plate on the forehead saying, a holy unto the Lord. And he said, it's missing. So they brought it and, and you know, now the high priest is standing with his full uh, garb as, as the high priest is ready to, to serve. He's ready to fulfill his role, you know, and his calling. And again, you know, I think it's a picture not just of the nation of Israel. It is a picture of Israel, but it's also a picture of us that we need, need God's cleansing touch to, um, to prepare us for our calling and for what he has for us. Verses six and seven, great promises that God is making to uh, Joshua and the nation of Israel here. And the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, admonished in the sense of a solemnly, you know, um, testified uh, with him. Thus says the Lord of hosts, if you walk in my ways and if you will perform my service, then you will also govern my house and also have charge of my courts. And I will grant you free access among those who are standing here. So the admonish again, soul may testify. And he, God is promising him. He says, if you be faithful to your calling, three things are going to happen. You will govern my house, you know, Israel and the temple. You will have charge of my court, still responsibility in God's house. And I will grant you, grant you access. You will have more responsibility, a position of prominence uh, with those uh, others that are serving God and so on. And, and he speaks to a principle that we um, hear about, read about in the New Testament. You know, Jesus said it, basically he summed it up and he said, if you are faithful in little, in small things, then I will give you more. And God is always on the search for people that are faithful. And personally for me, you know, as, as, as I follow the Lord, as I walk with him, I think I see personally more and more what God wants is faithfulness and a pure heart, you know, seeking his own glory, not ours. Now here comes the central verses of this uh, chapter, verses eight and nine. Here now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are assigned. I'm stopping here in the middle of the verse for just a second. This is really important. First of all, God seemed to stop everything, and he's calling for Joshua's attention. He says this, here now, I mean, make sure that you listen, not just with your ears, but also with your heart, because there's a message that is super, super important. Listen, high priest. 
You have the highest spiritual position. You must understand the following message. And to make sure that you understand, God says, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are assigned. Who are those men that sit before, as it were, the high priest? These are the rest, these are the rest of the spiritual leaders of Israel. Now, this is about 400 years before the coming of Jesus the first time. And uh, he's calling on the angel of, uh, I'm sorry, he's calling on Joshua. And he says, spiritual leaders of Israel, listen very, 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 very carefully. Men who are assigned, these are the, the leaders that everybody else looks up to, as it were. He says, listen carefully, make sure that you don't miss out on the following message, because it has very, very important implications. And if you may remember, when Jesus was on earth, Many times, Jesus strongly rebuked the spiritual leaders of Israel in this generation, that generation. And the reason is, I think at least in part, is because they knew the word of God and they had this message like we have in this, in, in this verse, in the following verse, that God is saying, you understand my word. Make sure not to miss my servant, the branch, the stone. So here's the message, the first part of the message. God says, in a very concise form, he says, behold, I will bring my servant, the branch. Now, you know, the uh, sages of Israel, then and now, but especially, certainly then, uh, they knew who the servant is. And when God says, my servant, they knew, or at least they should have known, they should have recognized that this is the servant who is the topic of the second half of the book of Isaiah. We meet him in Isaiah 42. We meet him in Isaiah 49. He's the, um, how do you say it in English? Uh, the one that doesn't quench the uh, broken reed is uh, probably slaughtering the English here. Uh, we meet him in chapter 52, in Isaiah 52. He, here's my servant, high and lifted up. And we meet him in chapter 53 of Isaiah as God's servant who takes upon himself the iniquity of us all. So when God says, my servant, they know who he's talking about. And to make sure that they don't miss it out, God says, my servant, the branch. Now, the branch is another messianic title that we meet in the uh, Hebrew Bible. And again, the, the man of a sign, the high priest and, and, and the leadership of Israel should have recognized it. We first meet the branch in Isaiah chapter four and verse two. And over there he's called the branch of God, the branch of God. And then we meet him again in Jeremiah 23 verse five, where he's called the righteous branch. And we meet him again in Jeremiah 33, 15, where he's called in the peculiar and, and most clear title, David's righteous branch. So immediately the messianic connection is made there. And not only that, David's righteous branch, whose name is Yahweh, our righteousness. He is the divine presence, Yahweh himself. This is the branch. So when God says to the leaders of Israel, do not miss my servant, the branch, they know he's talking about the Messiah. Now, to make sure that this is abundantly clear, God continues in verse 9, and he says, 
for behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts. I'm going to stop here for a second. So try to, um, try to imagine a very large stone. You know, if we were uh, worshiping together in, in a sanctuary, in your sanctuary, then, you know, just before the, the pulpit or whatever it is, there's a large stone that is laying there. Okay, and God says, this is it. And it's not, unusual, it's not the usual stone because it has seven eyes on it. Now, what are and who are those seven eyes? So seven is the number of completeness in, in the scriptures. And um, the eyes may represent the uh, omnipresence of God, the omniscience of God. God is everywhere. He sees everything. Um, there's a particular interesting uh, interpretation of uh, the Jewish sages to this verse, and they say um, the word stone, even in Hebrew, you can break it apart to two parts. The first part is Av, father. The second part is Ben, son. These are the exact you know, letters in the word. And they said the father has a special attention. He's, he's, all, all of his attention and, and um, kind of looking after the stone. Okay, so it's, it's, not an, it's not the usual stone. It has particular value to God. Now imagine this big stone, and let's say I would like to engrave on it. Okay, now if you want to engrave a stone, what do you do? Take a chisel or a big uh, nail, and then you take a hammer, and then you start to engrave it. Now, God doesn't say exactly what the engraving is, but he's saying, what the result's going to be. And that's an absolutely amazing uh, statement in the end of verse 10. God says, the mission of the servant, the branch, the stone, the result of this engraving will be, God says, I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. Now, uh, <clears throat> You know, I, I have three children, and when my children were young, uh, sometimes they would tell me, Dad, buy me this, buy me that. And sometimes I would tell them, well, Dad can't buy you this. You know, we don't have money. And they would tell me, Dad, you don't need money. Just, you know, get your credit card and just swipe it. You don't need money. And I would tell them, no. I had to explain to them that when, when Dad does the, the credit card thing, basically it kind of accumulates, but then there's a payday. I, I actually, actually have to pay the bill. And in a sense... You know, this is how it is with, or how it was with the sacrifices of the Sinai covenant. Because in the Sinai covenant, when you were sacrificing a sacrifice for your sin, what happened was that your sins were covered. They were not removed. They were covered. This is the credit card. But here, God makes an absolutely astonishing and astounding statement. He says, the result of the action of the branch, the servant, the stone, God says, I will remove, remove, not cover anymore, remove once and for all the iniquity of this land in a single day, in a single act, in a, in a singular event, all sin will be removed once and for all. The credit card, as it were, would be paid. And this portrays for us an absolutely amazing picture of the Messiah, his, his mission, 
and uh, the result of his death on the cross. I find it extraordinary that God has this, you know, uh, uh, absolute mercy and, 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 and compassion to be so specific to the leaders of our people, you know, before the Messiah came. And so this is, you know, when, and, and, and that's why it's so amazing now that we see that, well, really not now, but for the past 2000 years, the Jewish people by and large, I mean, our leaders have been blinded. I mean, there, there's a partial blindness. And uh, I remember uh, close to 30 years ago when I told my dad, who's a very secular guy, um, uh, still is, that uh, I believe in Jesus. And I, I, I told him, I can show you from the Hebrew Bible why I say that. And his response to me, you know, it's kind of humorous that my dad retreated to that. But he said, well, you know, our rabbis are studying the Hebrew Bible for 4,000 years. And they say he's not the Messiah. And you're going to show me that and you think you're smarter than them. And, and you're going to show me that he is the Messiah. So just amazing to see here how, you know, God is so specific. And yet, you know, in accordance to his marvelous plan, our people, the Jewish people as a nation, missed and missed still the Messiah. There is a time that the Jewish people will, as a nation, will accept the Messiah. Right now, you know, we, we accept them as individuals and, and as part of the church, but the time is coming that Israel is, and actually Zechariah is talking about it in chapter 12. The Apostle Paul is talking about it in Romans, particularly in chapter 11, and he, and he puts it this way at the end of chapter 11. He says, this is my free... Uh, translation here he says well if the if the the fact that the jewish people rejected jesus on his first coming has become such a blessing to the nation just imagine the blessing is going to be when the jewish people as a nation accept the messiah so it's not <laughs> my point is it's not a competition you know it's not either the jews or the gentiles it's in accordance to god's plan and so this chapter ends, verse 10 says, In that day declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. So the expression under the vine and under the fig tree signifies a time of peace, a time of abundance, a time of, of, of enjoying God's blessing and goodness. And God says, you know, when, when this single day comes, when I, when I remove the iniquity of the land in a single day, then it will be your, you, you're going to have a role in it because you need to invite your neighbors, your friends, those that are around you, your coworkers, your colleagues. You can invite them under your vine and under your fig tree. And I think, in a sense, that describes our mission in this day and age with our unbelieving family members, friends, neighbors, and people we meet to invite them to enjoy this experience of removal of the sins once and for all and enjoying God's goodness under his vine and under his fig tree. And so, you know, um, well, anyway, th this, is, this is the amazing message that uh, God gave Zechariah on this fourth vision uh, of the, this remarkable night that Zechariah had, and I hope that um, you know this has been encouraging for you. 
Remember, you're a son or a daughter of the living God. Nothing can separate you from his love. And we have a great and a high calling to call those that are around us to the one that has loved us. May I, uh, may I pray for you? And then, uh, Garrett, I'm turning it back to you. Father, we thank you that uh, we can be together. And as always, just uh, we're just so amazed, uh, not only by the, the richness of your word, but also by your, your patience with us and, and, and your love and your faithfulness. And all we can say is that uh, we love you and we worship you. And we just really pray that, um, I also pray for the, um, uh, the Newton, Newton Church, the Newton Covenant Church, that you would bless this community and make it a community, community that invites, invites our neighbors under your vine and your fig tree, uh, enjoying the freedom and the peace that we have is those that have been forgiven and the Messiah that has been engraved as it were, for our sin as the servant of God and as the branch. We thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.